as you've heard, my name is Michael, and uh, with my wife, Fran, we're glad to be here, and thank you for the invitation and the warm welcome. It was in the providence of God that I got to meet Reuben, even though I needed some medical treatment, but it was, it was lovely to meet him, and I did enjoy those chats, and um, pity the appointments ended, but I got better, so I suppose there was no... <laughs> so there was some use in it. Um, and then by an extended providence again, I met well, the first person I met in the missionary hall at the Bangor Convention um, was his dad, Jeff. So um, it all worked very well together. So it's, we're good to be here. Fran and I moved over from Suffolk uh, four years in March coming. Um, and the first couple of years here was sort of lockdown, really, which was quite an experience and getting to know Northern Ireland, I must say. Um, but we moved over about that time from Suffolk, where I was a Baptist minister and a personal evangelism trainer with Outreach, Outreach UK. Um, and we now worship together at um, First Ards Presbyterian Church. Uh, we live in Newton Ards, and that is our, our family. But it's a great privilege to be here and to share something from the Word of God with you today. I'd like us to turn to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Just make sure I see where the clock is. So important on a Sunday, isn't it? I remember once um, hearing a, a Methodist minister in Suffolk. Uh, he was one of these itinerant preachers, and he used to go to this little chapel in the sticks of Suffolk. And uh, he, would, he would go there. And as regular, they did this. The ladies at the back had the tear on. And one of these great big metal urns to set the boiling water going, and he knew he had to stop when it started to whistle. <laughs> and it was, he said, that wasn't a joke, he said, that was true, and they had, had to stop when that was going. So anyway, you haven't got a tea urn here, so I think we're all right. Anyway, Romans chapter 12. Let's hear the word of God. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so it's slightly different if you've got the NIV before you, which I think perhaps you have. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honour giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, as we often find in Paul's writings, we find a movement from theological teaching to the practical outworking of it. In Romans, the doctrinal or theological part is in chapters 1 through to 11. And then Paul moves into practicalities in chapter 12 and following. Although there is a clear division, we should not separate theology and practice by a great gulf. True knowledge and understanding of theology results in a changed lifestyle. And a true Christian lifestyle cannot exist without underpinning theology. For early church theologians, Irenaeus of the second century, for example, Athanasius of the fourth century, theology was more than terminology. Faith and godliness were forged profoundly together, and the one theological virtue could not be true without the other. For both these fathers, Irenaeus and Athanasius, theology was cut not only into the mind, but into the totality of human existence, body as well as soul. So in that passage we've just read, here we touch concrete in Romans. Here is where the rubber hits the road. Verses 1 and 2 are a description of the true worshipper of God, you and me. And these words are in some way a summary of all that follows. And yet verses 1 and 2 beg a question. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by... Okay, Paul, how? We've read that, but how? And in chapter 12, Paul tells us how. Let me briefly point you to what I see are the different practical aspects of our lives that help us not to separate faith and godliness. First of all, we're not individuals, verses 4 and 5. We identify among us different gifts, verses 6 through to 8. We are loving and joyful, great bulk of it here, chapter uh, verses 9 through to 18. And we trust God regardless of what other people might be like, in verses 19 through to 21. There's much here for our food for thought and practical outworking, but we don't have time, of course, to go into it now. I'd like us to zoom in on verses 4 and 5, where we notice that, as Christians, we are not individualists. 
If you would like to read a fuller exposition of Paul's illustration here in these verses, you might want to make a note of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 31. We can only touch on what is before us here, but I hope our thinking and our doing will be stimulated. There are two key points in verses 4 and 5, and they are, one, we are not all the same, and two, we belong to one another. Firstly, let us consider briefly what must be patently obvious. We are not all the same. You can see that looking on your faces. Thank God for that. For we are all like different coloured threads in a tapestry, which together make a beautiful picture. That's you. I remember one of my college lecturers in a session on church life, I think, saying how the modern church has a tendency to put out invitations to anyone to do anything in a service of worship or ask volunteers to, to do anything in some aspect of church life. And it was suggested that to do this can bring more problems than it solves. I think it's based on the false idea that uh, we're all one in Christ Jesus and therefore we're all priests before him and we can all do anything. But I think this has the effect of reducing decency and order that God requires. It intimidates other Christians who are not quite so outgoing as others might be. And it strengthens, and this is my point for this morning, it's to do that, to have just ask for any old volunteers to do anything, it strengthens a sense of individuality rather than togetherness and sharing the gifts and talents we have and indeed, individuality is just the opposite of the Apostle's intention. And I really, really want us to zoom in on verse 5 this morning. And I think these words, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, these words could perhaps be triple-lined, underlined in every Christian's Bible. Here is a three-line party whip. We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now true it is, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, we are of the body of Christ and each of us are members individually. But that is not the same, I put it to you, as individualism. Christian individualism says, I'm a free person, I can do what I like. I can go to any church I like. I can decide if I want to serve in a church or not. My Christian life is a private matter between me and my God. I am under grace and not under any obligation to any church. Now this, I am sure you would agree, is not a way for any believer to become a mature and useful servant of Jesus Christ. It goes against the grain of the whole tenor of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Maybe this attitude of individualism, which sometimes you can sense in a church with some people, maybe it's a legacy from the Thatcher era of politics, where she espoused the belief that anyone can make it good. You just have to go out there with determination and become a prosperous individual. And I believe that can be counterproductive in society. Individualism, you see, is, is when someone's self-image is driven by the I and not the we. 
There is nothing wrong, of course, in fulfilling one's potentiality. But surely this should never be at the expense of considering how I might contribute to the community, which is better by far. Now that community, of course, might be the workplace. It might be a sporting club. The family. Or as we're thinking of just now, the church. This philosophy of individualism surely undermines community spirit. It reduces the awareness to care for others who are less well off and disregards the feelings of others on your way to the top to get what you want. Christian individualism has some of these hallmarks, sadly, but the greater sadness is that they are glossed over with the veneer of Christian liberty. Liberty in the gospel. Forgetting very much that we are not our own. We were bought at a price. We recall Peter's words in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So it is, we as Christians belong to one another. So how are you and I to consistently present our bodies and live with renewed minds, as Paul tells us? By living out the principles we see here in chapter 12, yes. But so importantly, and part of this, by shunning individualism, by resisting any temptations to go it alone. We are all servants together. We, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We constantly remember that we belong to one another by the grace of God. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Let me put it this way, as illustration. As Christians, we are in a bubble. Now, when I say bubble, I use the word without any thoughts of COVID lockdown restrictions, because I started to use this illustration ever before that was on our TV screens or the whatever. Now, I think you'll agree that a lot is said about church being family, or the church is a community of faith, and such phrases are good and they're useful expressions. Our Lord Jesus Christ said that we are sheep as in a fold. He said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Paul describes Castlereagh Fellowship as the household of faith. Now, each of you is a member of a human family. And when you go to your homes, you go to your home, you go to yours, you go to yours, you are still part of that family, even if you do not all live in the same building. Wherever you go, Whatever you do, you are part of your family. Just so it is, and I put it to you, more so with your church family. 
The ties that bind you to one another are far stronger and far deeper than the ties that bind you in your human family. This is because the church family, in this church family, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is in us all and through us all. Do you recall how the early church was described? All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, to be sure, there are practicalities in our 21st century, tricky practicalities as to how we might have all things in common. But nevertheless, we cannot deny that that is an example of being in a bubble together as a picture of you in your church today. A word which Luke uses in those early chapters of Acts that, t- that describe the early church may be translated as one accord. The New International Version simply translated as together. One accord has a strength to it, though, doesn't it? Let me read the verses to you from the New King James Version. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Luke uses this word 11 times. However, he also uses the word, the same word, to describe the forces of evil set against the growing church and the work of the gospel. So we need to beware. But don't those verses describe and speak of your fellowship here together at Castle Ray? Do they not remind you how much you belong together? You are in the shepherd's fold. Do they not describe how you are the household of God, a community and a family of God? You are a bubble of the Lord's people. You have a unity with the same emotion, with the same passion. You're of one persuasion, having the same desire, with the same mind. Now ask yourself this question. Does all this wonderful unity that you've experienced and felt and joyed in this morning as you've worshipped Jesus Christ and met around the table, does all this unity of mind and spirit cease when you leave this place? I'm sure you'll give the answer, no. This is my illustration of the church being a bubble. When you go to your home, when you go to your workplace tomorrow, when you go to the shops, wherever you go, you do not leave the bubble. 
what you do is to stretch that bubble as you go about your day-to-day life, wherever you are. The boundary of this Christian fellowship knows no bounds. The bubble stretches. And from time to time, you remember that you are a member of the family of God. You remember, more specifically, that you belong to every other brother and sister in Christ, and of this fellowship particularly. But there is more. When you meet with other people in your daily round, you encourage others into this bubble. How do you do this? By your life and by your witness. By your life and your lip, you encourage others to taste and see how good is the Lord in this bubble. It may well be that the one with whom you share your faith or explain the gospel, it may well be that he or she doesn't come here, but how good if they did? But nevertheless, they will have been brought within the orbit of the Christian love that this church demonstrates. And for your part, you will know that you have not only represented Jesus Christ by your life and by your words, but you have represented every other brother and sister in Christ in this fellowship. And one further point. It is as you stretch this bubble wall and you meet with other Christians who are in their turn extending their bubble, there is a joining of the two. Just think of a child's bubble blowing and how two bubbles, when they meet, can make a bigger bubble. Is this happening, I wonder, with church families across our region? The all-encompassing love of Jesus will expand as Jesus joins churches together in fellowship and outreach. One large bubble extending out ever outwards to embrace more and more people. Because you, when you leave here, are extending the bubble of this loving fellowship. I'm sure you've heard the expression about pushing the boundaries, which implies someone does something that is beyond what would normally be expected. But this must be true for us, and is, I put it to you, a normal expectation. We push the boundaries of our church bubble, our church family. We sung a song earlier, and it had the line in it, I've made a note, your grace is extended. And that's what we're talking about here. We push the boundaries. And it's done by us, not by strategies, not by campaigns, not by new initiatives. It is done simply yet profoundly and gloriously by your being the person you are in Christ Jesus. Not only here among the people of God who meet, but out there. Wherever he has placed you, he has brought you into this rich fellowship and you take it with you wherever you go. You belong to one another. And in this way, you keep faith and godliness together. May God help us to push those boundaries.
for his name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.